it's my baby and I want to marry it. <laughs> I want to call it Squishy and it'll be my Squishy. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Hey guys, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Agnuson from CinemaSins, joined as always by Jeremy Scott, the voice of CinemaSins. Hello there. And from Barrett Cher, the uh, the voice of Music Video Sins. Hi. <laughs> Actually, he's just from Music Video Sins. He's not the voice. Jeremy's also the voice of Music Video Sins. Hello. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, and today we're going to continue the series of Best of the Years We've Been Alive. And uh, today it's 1990. I made my family disappear. Yeah! I'll take the fucking hole. I don't give a fuck. Was the first hole I dug? The operation was called hobbling. After the same shit happened to the same guy twice. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. God damn it, guys. I miss the 90s so much. I know. I miss the 90s so much. You don't even understand it. It was the last best decade, right? Now we're I here. Think everybody says that about whatever decade they were 15. Yeah, I think so. I, I, <laughs> I think it's I think it's just the co- combination of youth and like everything back then was more awesomer yeah. than anything. Yeah. Even though there was a lot of shitty things that happened in the 90s. <laughs> But, uh, good God, do I miss the 90s? Yeah, me too. <laughs> anyway, um, what's the first thing that stands out in 1990? I'm going to say Goodfellas is the first thing that mm. stands out to me in 1990. One of Martin Scorsese's best, probably his best in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and uh, it's just endlessly entertaining and watch it anytime. It's, uh, it's just, it's one of the best movies of all time, I think. So I it's really good. Yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to not go there first if we're going to talk about this year. Uh, but second, obviously, has to be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right, <laughs> right. Um, OG. OG TMNT. You say, you say the 90s are great, and I think part of what made them great is we were, we were totally clueless as to what was shit. Like, I loved this movie. Yeah. I loved the Turtles. I watched this thing dozens of times. I quoted it like crazy. Uh, and it's it's terrible. And then what's weird about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for me is that I was not aware of the 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 comics that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were sort of spoofing right. at the time, like Daredevil and all that. Because, you know, Daredevil's got the, the hand. So right. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles called theirs the foot. The foot, right. And there's a, you know, a, a, a sensei named Stick. But they called their splinter, yeah, you know, yeah. and stuff like that. And so, like, I was so more, I was way more familiar with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles before Daredevil had its Netflix thing. Right. And uh, watching the Netflix thing, and now I'm laughing at the Daredevil stuff because it's so, it's so like, you know, like, oh, they call him Stick, huh? Just like Splinter? No, it's the other way around. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know anything about Daredevil at the time. I barely knew anything about the Turtles, just that it was some kind of cult comic that some people liked, and here are these kooky guys cracking jokes, and Corey yeah. Feldman's one of them, and I was on board all the way. Absolutely perfect <laughs> for the age that we were in. Yeah, the, totally. I was 13 when Mutant Ninja Turtles came out and I was uh, all about it. Um, speaking of uh, another movie that you're great with when you're 13, but probably uh, uh, you're great with now is Home Alone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Um, Home Alone is a holiday classic. Um, Macaulay Culkin, we thought he was going to go on to great things after <laughs> after that, right? Now he's in bands that uh, have to do with pizza. Yeah, yeah. That's what is thing. the deal with that? Yeah, uh, and I he mean, somehow that's... dated Mila Kunis. Yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> I want to. I don't. I'm not. I'm not judging her. I just want to know how that meeting happened. <laughs> 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 you fly on the wall. Yeah, exactly. She was, I think she was like 18 when they started dating. Yeah. She was really young, and he was still a huge star, even though Home Alone was really his only mm-hmm. big hits. I love that Seinfeld when George is watching Home Alone, and Jerry comes into his apartment and goes, what are you crying? And George goes, the old man got to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love Home Alone. Uh, I even enjoy the second one. I don't think it's as good. Yeah. Uh, but- I mean, how can you go wrong with basically a, a kid version of Die Hard? Yeah, that's what it is. Essentially. And uh, yeah, I, I watch it probably every Christmas season. He abuses the shit out of those robbers. He sure does. Mm-hmm. He absolutely. It's it's really, it really kind of, upon like the 10th viewing, makes you kind of root for Daniel Stern and, and Joe Pesci. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just kind of start thinking like, God, man, I mean, this is awful. <laughs> yeah. I like mean, I showed it to my son, you know, a couple of years ago. He's eight now. And he was cracking up at how vicious and awful these people are. And it's not like they're murderers. It's not like they're like molesters or anything like that. They're robbers and they're they're bad people. But he just abuses the shit out of them. Yeah. And and can you uh, think of two movies that an actor shares, like Good Joe Pesci with Goodfellas and Home Alone, <laughs> that is more diametrically opposed than those two? That's a good point. Um, it's good casting. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. Another one that stands out in 1990 and is actually apropos because Gary Marshall just passed away Mm -hmm. like uh, yesterday um, uh, as this uh, recording was being made. Uh, Pretty Woman, Mm -hmm. uh, probably his biggest, uh, most well-known movie, and that's what got Julia Roberts into the stratosphere. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And my wife adores that movie. Yeah, and it's not very good. I don't like it. Mm -hmm. I don't think it, I think it's kind of dated. Um, a yeah. little bit, but uh, I still think it has a big audience. No, no, it certainly does. It's a very eighties movie in, <laughs> yeah, in nineteen ninety. Right. You know, I mean, it's the whole like greed and like corporate uh, takeover and everything, and Jason Alexander being like representing <laughs> the worst of America, yeah. and uh, and Richard Gere doing the same thing. So like, but it it is definitely a remnant of the eighties that trickles into the beginning of the next. Yeah, decade. and let, let, let's don't get it twisted. Nineteen ninety is still basically the eighties. Yeah, we with the got... hair, the fashion, the comedy, the movies, everything. Yeah, yeah we don't get into the nineties really until it's like ninety three, ninety four. <laughs> and all that um another uh huge huge movie uh this one best picture was dances with wolves mm. kevin costner directing himself yeah. for three hours and great great yeah. movie well, this was his first directing gig too right yeah believe I'm it pretty was sure he won the best director oscar he did uh i adore this movie so yeah. much it's it, it has movements it feels like a, a novel or a big piece of orchestral music the way that the story flows so lyrically and uh, I can't not watch it. This is on oh, that yeah. list of if Dances with Wolves is on, I have to stop on that channel. It was on just yesterday. Yeah, I was, was sitting there watching it just yeah. like it's just, yeah, compulsively watchable. It's it's 
it's rare for modern epic movies like that to be something where you're like all right i gotta i gotta sit here and watch this yeah. like a lot of modern epic movies you're like oh we're we're at the uh, one hour and half hour and a half mark huh this is gonna be this is this got 30 minutes of horribleness before yeah. we get to the uh the good stuff uh but dances with wolves is like always good so yeah. that one best picture should it have won best picture that year this is one I'm not going to argue against. I'm okay with this winning best picture. Even with Goodfellas? I mean, I don't want to tip my hand for the debate that's to come, but uh, Goodfellas can also be called that. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with this movie winning best picture. Mm-hmm. I think, though, the Academy sort of put themselves in this position. <laughs> not that they were trying to put themselves in this position, but they were... They were always going for those epic movies. Yeah, Dances with Wolves sort of won. It it would have won by default, even if it wasn't like as good as it was. I feel like because just like all through the eighties, they set this precedent. Like if your movie's two and a half hours long and it has like a decent performance in it, it's best picture. You yeah, know? Um, but doesn't that describe Goodfellas though? No, good. I mean, Goodfellas actually. I'm I'm I was only thirteen when Goodfellas came out. I just remember that being not as it was not considered the classic that it ended up being until later hmm. um i think there were some people who didn't like goodfellas when it first came out Well, also is that the kind of movie the academy is going to award best picture like how often do you see a movie with 300 f-bombs and all that blood and all violence? all that violence i don't know maybe today maybe today no i mean even then it's not really when mm. those aren't winning best picture mm. um I, I just I don't think Goodfellas fits the mold of a best picture, quote unquote, and that sort of leads into what defines a best picture, what should be a best picture. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I, I mean, we're going to go through this decade and there are so many movies that are better than the best picture. Yeah. And uh, and I but none of those movies really qualifies as what had been a best picture before. Academy is a very traditional. They body. set a template, I guess. At that yeah, point, yeah, right? they've set a template. So yeah, your movies that are coming. There's a lot of stuff coming out in the '90s. We'll get into those, but that that are better than the ones that won. But the epic always wins. Mm-hmm. It always wins. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm not. I don't have a problem with Dances with Wolves winning. Uh, and I and in this case, I don't have a problem with it overall winning. I think it's a great enough movie to be best picture. But then later on in the decade, we're going to start seeing some stuff that's like, nah, that was an epic, but it wasn't the best. Well, I'm going to do a little bit of a loopy segue here and say you're sort of hinting at the uh, Shakespeare in Love debacle, at least a little bit. That's well, there's one of the that. More, that's one of the more infamous one best picture, but shouldn't have. Right. But that was Tom Stoppard. Tom Stoppard put out a movie in 1990 called Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead. Yes. Um, and if you've never seen it, please go watch it. It's oh, yeah. got Tim Roth and Gary Oldman. Uh, it's just a bunch of fun wordplay and kooky, quirky humor. Basically, we're following two side characters from the, the play Hamlet. Um, and we'll see characters from Hamlet come through this story every now and then. But we're following these two guys. If you don't know Hamlet, at the end, he sends his two friends, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, with a message that actually says, kill these two guys. Um, spoiler. Spoiler <laughs> uh, for Hamlet, something that's centuries old. Uh, and so this movie says, hey, let's look at this story from their perspective. Um, how stupid do they have to be to fall for this? And they're actually 
so stupid they're quite smart yeah um and i when i discovered this movie i already knew who tim roth was from tarantino stuff um i knew who gary oldman was but i was not expecting this gem i love this movie it's so good it's so hyper literate uh but yet broad comedy at the same time yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a bit where he's flipping a coin over and over and over again and trying to get like a different yeah. outcome. Yeah. And that states to, to speaks to kind of how the universe that they're in works because it's not necessarily a linear universe. Right. But it keeps coming up heads and he's just heads. There's heads. a part where he goes to the top of the balcony in the gym with like a cannonball and a feather and drops <laughs> them both at the same time. <laughs> it's like, I just proved gravity. It's like dancing around all these big heady issues uh, in the goofiest way possible. Uh, it's probably not going to win, but I can't not talk about it. I, I love that movie. Gary Oldman just sells his most naive performance, which is totally un-Gary Oldman-ish. Right, right. Uh, he is terrific in that. Yeah, he's great. Uh, another one that I love from this year is Hunt for Red October. Yep. Oh, yeah. This is probably in my top five movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, I I cannot say a single negative thing about it. If you want to talk to me about Sean Connery having a weird accent as a Russian, I don't care. Uh, it's like <laughs> Arnold. I accept Sean Connery's Scottish accent in anything I see him in. Um, and uh, I just love it. It's so fantastic. There's no flaws and even more than Dance of the Wolves. If I was flipping channels and Hunt for Red October was playing on one and Dance of the Wolves was on the other, Hunt for Red October wins. So tense. Such a mm-hmm. tense movie. And it's probably, it might be the last of the Cold War movies. At least the, the good ones. Because the, the the wall comes down, I believe, in 89. I think that's what mm. it is. Uh, and then this, the so-called fall of communism and all that is, is symbolized by that. But uh, we started seeing less and less Russians being the bad guys. Like the 80s, that's what it all was all about. Yeah, always. Red Heat. That's yeah. why you have a movie like that. Ruskies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but Hunt for October is so tense and it's got... Uh, I, I guess a star-making performance for Alec Baldwin, yeah, yeah. Uh, who's super young in that movie. He you is. want to talk about somebody who has completely changed from what he looked like <laughs> back then? Um, but uh, star-making performance for that. But he he didn't play Jack Ryan in the in the next uh, installments. So, right. You know that's uh, he kind of left let that go after that and let Harrison Ford do it uh, in the next couple of movies. But um but yeah hunt for october is just one of those movies it's just like everything about it is uh sets uh i don't know sets a tone or it's um it's just i i love how he's like he'll be he'll sit there he's at the meeting and he's like son of a bitch yeah, yeah. and he's like and he's like he's like uh ramius plans to defect and all of this and everything and and like james earl jones is like i told you to make an impression jack but jesus you know yeah. like, and uh and so like and so like this guy you know is the guy who know he's the only guy who knows this is going to happen or believes it's going to happen and that you know that one guy's like I'm a, I'm a politician, which means I'm a liar. I'm a cheating and I'm a liar. When I'm not kissing babies, I'm still in the lollipop. <laughs> you know, and he tell and he's like he basically uses the expendable bald one to go and do this insane stunt to get yeah. on onto a submarine that's near the red red October. It's smart though. It's a it's smart so action smart. movie. Yeah, and it's it. It can't be that hard to be done. No. Like, it, it, you can point to this and say it's possible to do a smart action movie. Yeah. And well, by the way, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, who's the director here? Is it McTiernan? McTiernan. Yeah, I was going to say, McTiernan was, always makes great action films. I was about to say that McTiernan is on a roll here. Die Hard and Hunt for October, you, that's one, two, you cannot yeah. top. Yep. 
Yep. Um, so incredible. Um, if you haven't seen Hunt for October, you need to see that. Yeah, for sure. Um, another one that stands out is uh, Tim Burton, who's who's on a he's on a roll too. Like. Mm. I think he's I lost a lot of his luster over the past, you know, 15 years or so. Uh, but Edward Scissorhands is uh, is one of his very best oh, movies. Yeah. Um, you're talking about visuals and story and just quirkiness and all that. You got Johnny Depp and Winona Ryder. Um, it's uh, I mean, it's just it's just a fan fantastic movie. It is. And it's emotional. Like it, that's what that's what these recent movies haven't touched, at least to this point, mm. probably since like Big Fish. Where he hasn't really gotten to the the heart of the picture like he does in Edward Scissorhands, mm, yeah. uh, because it's in this weird universe and it's got all the stylistic and visual uh, cues and everything. But you know, it really turns out to be a love story and kind of just like a a, a really nice narrative with a with a strong heart. So it's it's great. Yeah, pretty good year for quirky love stories because Joe versus the volcano came out. This <laughs> yeah, year, yeah, which uh, is one of the lesser seen. Uh, Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks movies. Yeah. And they're both super young. And this movie is not a straight up comedy. No. This movie wants to make you laugh by making you think, mm -hmm. um, not by giving you slapstick. Yeah. Uh, I love the movie. I think it's full of symbolism um, and it's just goofy fun. Wasn't it super critically derided uh, for a number of years? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like it was one of the, the worst films, quote, ever ever made uh, for know, a while. I don't know if they, people were calling it worst, but they certainly didn't like it. And it. I don't think it really got appreciation until they did Sleepless in Seattle together. And it started building, it's built a quite a cult following since. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned Joe versus the Volcano to anybody of age. They're like, oh yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. And which is something that you could not find back in 1990. No, really. in fact, I was uh, somebody in college showed me that movie and I'd never even heard of it. So, yeah. I mean, it flew pretty well below the radar, especially in a year like this with all these big blockbusters. Um, but I love Tom Hanks, so I wanted to mention it. Yeah. Um, another big one, Paul Verhoeven comes back with Total Recall. Mm -hmm. uh, another a pretty good one-two punch there. He does RoboCop and then he does Total Recall here. Very Hitchcockian sci-fi thriller with, uh, you know, um, oh, Philip K. K. Dick. Dick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Philip K. Dick, um, short story. Uh, what is it? We, we sell it to you for, we'll sell it to you for your wholesale. What is it? Was it called? I don't, all of his it titles It wasn't called Total Recall. <laughs> no, it yeah. wasn't. But I, but Total Recall is a, is a, it was a different movie. Well, I don't know for Schwarzenegger. He had done sci-fi obviously, but, mm -hmm. but I don't think he had done anything that was this cerebral before. No, and I don't know if he knew he was doing that kind of thing. And, 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 I, and let me, he, he probably not. But what, it was kind of like Casper Van Dien and Starship Troopers, probably just kind of along for the ride. Yeah, uh, it, based on we can remember it for you, wholesale. Now, it's, it is kind of hard to believe that I'm talking about a Schwarzenegger film and saying cerebral at the same time. But it is. It's one of those that makes you go like, is this real? Is yeah. this not? What? Okay, what's going on? I don't understand. I mean, and by the end of it, you're still not entirely sure, even yeah. though there's, I think it kind of spells it out. But um, but it's endlessly watchable. I love Total Recall. It holds up really well. Yeah. Uh, a lot of sci-fi from this era does because it's, you know, set on Mars or what have you. And I don't have anything to compare Get that you against. Get your ass to Mars. But even the stuff on Earth, um, the TV screens and all that, no, none of it feels dated. Mm -hmm. Um and young Sharon Stone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, lots of guessing and twisting. And I can't 
not watch it. Yeah, and and they and this is one of the quickest remakes I've ever seen come out. Like it 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 feels like this can't this was remade way before remakes are made but i mean maybe i'm wrong on that it just it they they do it with colin farrell and like i I just felt like we just don't need this at all this is this is the most we don't need this i've ever seen well and that was a one-two punch of the robocop remake yeah and the total recall remake and they're both just sterile and unemotional and muted colors and neither one of them needed to be made no the originals in both case hold up fine yeah Speaking of departures for uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he also did Kindergarten, <laughs> Kindergarten Cop, Cop that year. <laughs> and I saw this movie in the theater, and I, I this was a big year. This was probably the first year that I really went to see a lot of movies in the theater. And I saw movies like Problem Child that came out in this year, and Arachnophobia, and Kindergarten Cop. And Kindergarten Cop is him trying to play off of his macho uh, action star thing that I guess he'll continue in like Last Action Hero and other things. Uh, but you saw like a different side. I don't know. This came before S- Stallone doing "Stop or My Mom Will Shoot." Yeah, right? but he'd also <laughs> but there was like a run had also done things. Twins before. Yeah, this, he did so. Twins before that. Yeah, but uh, it was it was a fun movie. It was uh, you got to see uh, Schwarzenegger yell "Shut up" at a bunch of uh, <laughs> kindergartners at the top of his voice, and that was fun. Yeah. Well, and let's not forget the enduring line: "It is not a tumor. It's not a tumor." <laughs> that. Two more. It is not a two more. <laughs> it is not a Tuma that was all the way through. Like you couldn't, you couldn't escape a decade yeah. after that. What's that funny movie. is we were just talking last time about movie movie quotes we say all the time in real life, and I always use the line right before that. Like if my wife doesn't feel good or has a headache, I'm always like, it might be a tumor. <laughs> 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 She's not a fan. Uh. Um, let's see. Die Hard 2 came out mm-hmm. in 1990. Now, this is one uh, that I think almost everybody hated when it came out, but it has developed a cult following over the years, and it's uh, it's better than I remember when I first watched it. When it first came out, and it may have dropped it since, did it actually say Die Harder? Was that yes, the, uh, the tagline? Yes, I remember Die Harder being a part of the title. That's classic. Now, it could be that they were doing that in ads, uh-huh. and they never made that a part of the official title. But I remember Die Harder, and then I remember <laughs> when Die Hard 3 was coming out, I was like, everybody was like, are they going to call that Die Hardest? <laughs> you know? Um, I had never seen this. I'd seen the original, uh, and I was in college, and I got the flu, and uh, I Somebody went out to the video store and rented me some movies, and Die Hard 2 was one of them. And I was holed up in my room in a blanket with a fever, and I watched this movie, and I was like, this is great. <laughs> what did everybody say? It's yeah. the perfect time really to watch like this movie. This. Oh, uh, yeah. So that may color my, like, the state I was in may have, like, fogged me up a little bit and made me love it. But uh, I don't. it's not as good as the original. But like you said, when we talked about the original, it's still a confined space. Uh, still the same basic premise. Um, still good performances all around. Dennis France is in this, and he's fantastic. Um I like it. I will he's say. He's a giant he, asshole. Yeah, he is. He is a giant asshole totally. in this movie. But I, I will say that every time he's on there, and especially with McLean, uh, dialogue hits all-time new lows when oh, they're yeah. talking. And oh, they're, yeah. Especially like, like uh, what happens if you go through the metal detector? What 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 makes the metal detector go off first? The, the shit in your brains or the lead in your ass? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's got a lot of stuff like that. It, it does, and I'm not saying it's perfect. The but, dialogue uh, in it is very much like, let's be as 
Neanderthal about this as possible, but uh, but I love the action in it, and I think it's a fun action movie. So a film I want to mention uh, that won't be in contention is La Femme Nikita. Yes, because this is what gets Luc Besson on the scene to make the professional Leon, and then uh, the Fifth Element. After that, uh, two movies that. Uh, I cherish in my collection. Uh, the Professional is one of the best movies I've ever seen. Yep. Um, La Femme Nikita is great, too. Uh, they remade it in English. Point with, of no return. With uh, Luke Besson involved. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, John Badham directed <laughs> yeah. it or somebody like that. And uh, <clears throat> it's not as good, I don't think. No, I'd rather watch the original. I did see Point of No Return first, and then I saw La Femme Nikita after that. And I still like La Femme Nikita better. Yeah. It's, just a, it's a better movie. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a really good one. Uh, what else? Misery. Oh yeah. Um, not like too many other movies out there. Uh, like basically a single set location and two characters, the entire film for the Mm -hmm. most part. Uh, and one of the most cheerily menacing villains ever. Kathy Bates kills this role. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I've never read the book. I, I don't read a lot of Stephen King books. Uh, I did read this. But is this a good ad- adaptation? Absolutely. Of that book? I read the book, um, and uh, the the movie is extreme. I mean, there's not much to screw up, really. You sure. know, it's uh, the only thing about I believe I don't remember the movie that much, but I remember the book having um, a really uh, th- well. The the book had a an extra story written into it because mm. Sheldon, like Paul Sheldon's writing a um, another book in there. That's what. Annie wants her wants him to do and everything and you get to see this story that he's writing and everything and one of the interesting things is just how he because the character that she wants to come back is dead and he wanted to just you know he wanted to leave this character forever as the author or whatever and just seeing how he gets he's like oh well there's certain kinds of bee stings that make people uh you know like appear dead but they're not really and everything and he's like oh i'm kind of getting excited about writing this and everything uh but but uh, i don't know if the movie really captures that but the movie's really good and again it's fucking rob reiner yeah who is i mean the guy can no, do no wrong until 1994 and <laughs> it's just genre hopping like a mad <laughs> Man. Yeah, romantic absolutely. comedy stand by me misery he's all over the place i mean this guy he's gonna have one more that we're gonna mention in the next uh couple of years but and, and then he finally crashes down to earth but uh but uh yeah misery's good um i remember in middle school uh me and a friend did uh, a, a scene from misery in front of the class what? and i was playing annie wilkes <laughs> And he was playing Paul Sheldon and brought an actual axe into the middle oh school. Oh, my God. Didn't have any clue that that might be a bad thing. And, like, I, I like, we, we did the scene where we break, you know, we uh, break his leg. Hobbled or him. Yeah, hobbled uh-huh. him and all that. The teacher had no idea I had this axe. And, like, so we did this thing. Everybody was, like, shocked when they saw it or whatever. And, I'm like, <laughs> we did it the scene. No big deal. Like, it was a big deal. And then, like, afterwards, we got, like, pulled aside. Like, yeah, you shouldn't have brought an axe to the school. <laughs> you know, if that happened today. Oh, my God. It would be on film. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Somebody in the class would have recorded it and I'd be able to see that. Yeah. But because yeah. it happened back then, <laughs> yeah, I can't watch just it. just legend I now. I can only picture it in my mind. <laughs> my God. Uh, I want to talk about presumed innocent. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Harrison Ford um, in a non-conventional role for him. Yeah. Um, 
I really don't want to say this is one of those weird movies. I really don't want to say too much about it. Yeah, there is a mystery involved yeah. in this one. And it's important. I don't think you can enjoy the film if we ruin the mystery for you. No, <laughs> um, but this is one of Harrison Ford's uh, great performances. He's only been nominated one time in his life, and I felt like this is one that he could have easily been nominated for. Uh, but this is a this is a great mystery. This is based on the like a huge book by Scott Turo. Um, that, uh, but it's just one of those that you're like, kind of just going, what, what happened in this? I can't figure it out. And then the, the answer is so satisfying. This is also the year that, uh, the house party series kicked off. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hit and play. Yep. The iconic hair and the iconic dance. And that's really all I need to say about that. That's about it. All you need to say. So two big summer movies that came out were Dick Tracy, which I yes. loved yes. at the time. I, and when I go back and watch it. I love Al Pacino's performance maybe more than any other Al Pacino performance. In He's the 90s. so fun in that movie. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those times where he just went for it. And yeah, I, I hate to say that about an actor of his stature, but in most cases, he's a reserved. I know mm-hmm. he's known for, you know, explosive dialogue, like I had all the way up it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like this was, it's just a loopy. I'm surprised he even took the gig. Yeah, um, no, and it, it's very cartoony, and he, he not only with the makeup, but just his deliveries and everything. Like he'll say just a stupid line, you know, when he's killing somebody, and he'll attribute it to like Benjamin Franklin or like <laughs> Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> and uh, no, he's he's really really great. And Warren Beatty grounds it. And then Madonna comes in and does Madonna shit, yep. and it's pretty good. This was Warren Beatty Madonna dating. Oh yeah, that's a crazy. That was a crazy couple right mm-hmm. there. Oh my god, <laughs> insanity. Um, well, I don't think you could uh, between those two. Don't you have six degrees of separation for everybody as yeah. far as yeah. sexual partners are concerned? <laughs> <laughs> I think all three of us do, actually. Yeah, probably we, We're so. linked back to oh, Warren yeah. Easily. Easily. <laughs> well, um, the other big uh, summer movie, and I want to get your thought on it, uh, Back to the Future 3. Where do you stand on Back to the Future 3? It is the second best Back to the Future. Um, it is. It, it gets back to sort of the principles of that first one, mm-hmm. and it's not a complete retread like the second one was, even though the second one tries to get like all future-y to us and everything. But, um, but Back to the Future 3... Um, is is just a uh, is just an excellent movie on its own. It's um I like it. I I think I actually like Back to the Future 2 a little more. I think I like them in the order they were released. Um but I I can't find too much fault with it. Um it's it's a fun light adventure. Um it's maybe even breezier than the first one. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of like the stakes and what have you. Um and of course I love all the Eastwood Ravine stuff where he, yeah, he, yeah, he tells yeah. him his name is Clint Eastwood when he goes back, <laughs> so they named the ravine after him. I do like uh, the you know Doc Brown talking about you're not thinking fourth dimensionally and all that. That's a that's a sort of a a huge thing uh-huh. to uh, to tell an audience when you know when you're watching a movie like this uh, to to not imagine what it is now, but to imagine what it is back then and stuff like that and i thought that was a, a, a just a nice touch too yeah. Yeah, and it makes the whole movie good <laughs> um but no um I, I like that movie a lot uh the coen brothers came out with miller's crossing uh in this year another great coen brothers movie this got completely overlooked when it came out though gabriel byrne gabriel byrne it's who- like a it's like a old timey family mob squabble, right? Yeah, and Albert Finney's in it, and um, uh, uh, John Turturro, a uh, lot of good people in it. But it may have gotten uh, sort of uh, 
I don't know, covered up by the fact that there were so many gangster movies that came out this year. Uh, the Craze, uh, Goodfellas, God, Godfather 3, which we haven't mentioned yet, yeah. but that's another one that just, uh, that was made for a buck, and, you know, that it shows. It shows. <laughs> Buy two, get one free. Right, yeah, pretty much. Um, uh, Duvall's not in it. Uh, there's like, uh, it's just a, it's just a weird movie because... And I've talked about this before. Godfather 3 comes out in 1990, some 16 years after the last Godfather came out. Movies have changed so much by this point that it just doesn't even belong in that in that series at all. It's funny that uh, you talk about how many mob mo- movies there were this year and Godfather 3 coming out. But we also have The Freshman with yeah. Marlon Brando. <laughs> Which is a great, Broderick. great movie. And that's a comedy. Yeah. But it's Brando almost aping his Godfather character. Yeah. It's about this supper club where they import illegal animals like <laughs> bearded dragons and shit. And uh-huh. they eat these weird foreign animals. Uh, and Matthew Broderick is sort of about to marry into this family. And I enjoy that movie a lot. I don't know that I would call it a classic or anything. But it's funny that it came out the same year. Yeah, so good, though. Yeah. Um, oh, Days of Thunder. <laughs> um <laughs> If you this is Tony Scott at his most ridiculous, and this is Tom Cruise at his most ridiculous. This is where he meets Nicole Kidman, and uh, the whole almost ten years of marriage happens after this movie. Um, but yeah, Days of Thunder basically informs what we see in Talladega Nights yeah. <laughs> later on. Cold trickle. Yeah, that's right. Um, um, we also get just because they're going to remake it. I'm going to mention Flatliners. Yeah. Yes. I think they're remaking it with Kiefer Sutherland. Anyway, I don't know that this movie is great. It's about people basically intentionally killing themselves for a few minutes and then being revived by their medical peers, mm-hmm. uh, med students. Mm-hmm. Um, but that little red-headed, red-hooded kid that they, that they see is one of the creepiest movie characters yeah, I've ever seen some in my creep- entire life. Yeah, there's some creepy stuff in there. He the, scared the, the, the shit yeah. out of me, that little kid. This is an interesting period of Joel Schumacher. Um, he, d- he has come out with good movies. Like, we like to bag on him for Batman Forever and Batman and Robin and all mm-hmm. that. Um, and he's made a lot of bad movies. I'm not going to be an apologist for Joel Schumacher here, but... Uh, Flatliners is a is a pretty good movie. I don't like The Lost Boys, but The Lost Boys came out a couple, you know, a few years before this. A lot of people like that movie, and then he comes out with something uh, a few years down the road called Falling Down, which yeah. is, is a I, I think is his best movie. Uh-huh. Um, but he's in an interesting little period here yeah. where he's making some good stuff, and this is why he had you know that's why he got Batman was that he was able to make some pretty interesting things no, this, this is a great cast yeah yeah it is the uh let's see what else here's a a, a nice little b movie that has had seven sequels i think tremors <laughs> I this is it's one of those movies that i mean this is why we have sharknado today uh-huh, uh-huh. um but i prefer the tremors version of this kind of movie to the sharknado version yes. something that sort of knows at least the tremors sequels they know for sure. I'm pretty sure the first one, they 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 knew they were bad and they were making something goofy yeah. and cheesy. Uh, and they just ran with Michael Gross mm-hmm. has had an entire second life yeah. as an actor after Family Ties just because of these movies. Yep. And he's playing the exact opposite of the guy from Family Ties. <laughs> like yeah. He's playing like a gun-loving, 
explosive loving <laughs> with Reba McIntyre. <laughs> yeah, and then of course this this series does what Back to the Future does and takes us back to the old west and shows us all these ancestors mm. fighting. Anyway, I love the first Tremors. I don't think it's good, but I sure do like watching. Oh, it. it's such a fun movie. Uh, but that and we don't have to really talk much about it. Just a casual mention of Gremlins Two, the new uh-huh. batch, which was not good at all. No. Um, I, I I think that was another movie in, in my uh, younger days that I came out going that wasn't very good. <laughs> they were making fun of the first movie in this one, basically saying, "Well, that first one that you liked was ridiculous." So here's a bunch of and Key and Peele has one of the best skits on uh. this movie ever. It, you, I suggest you go find it. But uh, but yeah, I remember just I was sitting there thinking because during the I probably mentioned this before, but. There's that scene where the gremlins get in the projection room and they yeah. and they burn and the film burns and all that. I'm wondering how many projectionists shat themselves <laughs> when they were watching this movie and because <laughs> and they, they, they you, with a trained eye you can tell that it's not really the film. Uh. But I wonder how many. I mean, I'm sure there were a few that were like, "Oh no!" Well, because you're. I, if you do projection long enough and you're and you're previewing a film Thursday night before opening, you, you're really trying to look out for mistakes. You, mm-hmm. You're watching it in a in a, I guess a more aware way. You're watching for the cigarette burn marks. You're watching for splices that are bad or scratches, or, mm-hmm. and so anything like that that would show up would probably freak you out. Yeah, give you a, a moment of panic. Yeah, that's a that's a little. Uh, by the way, that's a little trick that they can't do today. Right, like they can't. You can't. Uh, you know, emulate film burning on screen because everything's digital. It would be ridiculous to put that in your digital movie. It would. Uh, I do have a good head trip movie that is, I think, probably underrated at this point. It's Jacob's Ladder. Oh yeah, yeah I have yeah. that on my list. That is that is a lot of fun for a psychological thriller, but it's also talk about some creepy imagery in there. Yeah, there is some absolutely crazy stuff in there and all of his visions he's a guy that comes back from the vietnam war it's tim robbins he doesn't know really which end is up and you find out at the end of the movie which end is kind of up maybe and uh, it's it's a great movie to watch it's it's a really good like sunday afternoon movie i think um i think we're ready to vote i am um so what's our order our order today is chris barrett and jeremy damn okay well i'm gonna say right off the bat because i already said this is one of the best movies ever made, but Goodfellas is my choice. Mm. Uh, this is Scorsese at his very best. Uh, I, I mean, I've I probably watched Hunt for October and Goodfellas maybe about the same amount. Actually, Hunt for October I've probably seen more, but but Goodfellas is just one of those movies that's just hey, you can pick that up anywhere. It's so good. Ray Liotta, I was going to say that who who just come basically this is his first big big role slays it yeah kills it and uh and this is what made ray liotta what he is today um and uh and yeah i mean i guess it's a serviceable performance from de niro it's not as showy as his normal scorsese uh movies are he's not the main focus of this movie. I, I think it is laughable in Goodfellas where they're like, he couldn't have been more than 29 at the time. De Niro comes <laughs> strolling in 50 years old. <laughs> couldn't have been more than 29 at the time. Um, but uh, it's got so much like great dialogue to it. Yeah. And it's, and, and it's based on a true story, even though I'm sure a lot of it's been 
blown out of proportion like everything else has. Maybe by Henry Hill, actually. Yeah, by Henry Hill himself, yeah. Uh, This was a movie that we're talking about. It takes time to make movies a lot of time. Uh, Scorsese wanted to do this for like six or seven years, I think. Hmm. It was something like that. I think he was... uh, he may have been in the middle of the color of money or something like that when he started wanting to make this movie. Um, and he, he wasn't going to direct it. I think at, at some point he just wanted to make it. Hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the, the one shot through the, mm-hmm. through the restaurant is, is amazing. And you can't say anything. Uh, there's so many classic moments though. Not just that there's the, the scene where they beat that shit out of that guy. Oh, I love that. The helicopter chase at the end where mm-hmm. he's freaking out while he's driving. Oh, and it's got that Henry Nielsen song playing yeah, while yeah. he's doing it. And there's like the, uh, the, 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 when they're beating the crap out of that guy is, is a, that whole lead up to that is amazing. Like go get your fucking shine box and all that. Yeah. And, uh, and like, it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, the Joe Pesci character in this movie this is why that, you know, am I funny scene is so good is because it's a guy who is basically rotten to the core. And anytime he says something like this, you have to take it seriously. And he thinks it's so funny that he think that, you know, that Henry Hill thinks that it's a joke, mm-hmm. that it's the serious or whatever. And I'm like, that's so perfect because this guy has no idea what, how he looks to the other, to the other people in the yeah. world. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it just gives this element of danger to it. Yeah. It's, you know, he thinks it's funny. Everybody else is like, this guy could shoot somebody. Yeah. He's done it before. Why not now? Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's really chock full of famous scenes. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's so many famous scenes in this movie that we could t- spend two hours yeah. talking about it. The best use of the song Layla ever. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. The slow version or the fast version? Uh, that's the fast version. Oh. Yeah. I like both versions. The Derek and the Domino's version. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, Barrett, yeah. what's your vote? My favorite part about Goodfellas is the the interplay between those three, Pesci and De Niro and Leota, <clears throat> when they're at the bar, when they're sitting around like eating at, at his mom's place. And all mm-hmm. Like it's just, it, it seems real natural. And I guess that's how Scorsese kind of runs his, his ship. Goodfellas is 1A for me because I'm going to vote for Home Alone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, okay. For the sheer rewatchability of it for where I just don't see any holes with it. Um, Macaulay Culkin's performance for being eight to 10 years old. I don't mm-hmm. know how he's playing an eight year old. I don't know how old he was at the time, but, and like, everybody's just kind of like working together and Chris Columbus doing his thing. The score, John Williams's score is one of my favorite, uh, scores to listen to just kind of casually. Is that the um, one? Exactly. Yep. Yep. One of those that you would you don't normally associate with John Williams, yeah. and he did it. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I think it's it's great. Every time that I watch it, I enjoy it just as much as as uh, as I did the about the first time too. So I'm gonna. I think that's my favorite of. I did not expect that vote, but mm-hmm. I don't have any qualms with it. It's mm-hmm. a classic, and we do often weigh cultural impact when mm-hmm. we make these decisions. Uh, but I'm going Hunt for Red October, okay, sure, because. Uh, it's my baby and I want to marry it. <laughs> I want to call it Squishy and it'll be my Squishy. Um, I love it. I love it so much that I may be blinding myself to another vote that I should go towards, but this is in my top five of all time. Uh, I have to vote Hunt for October. I'm pretty sure we're going to wrap this up on the second time through, though. Um, I And just talking about Hunt for October again, one of the big scenes that always eventually just wraps me up into it is the Jeffrey Jones scene. Yeah. 
where he's just like, this could park a couple of warheads off the, you know, a couple of hundred warheads off the East Coast. No one would know anything about it until it's too late. And it just, it um, immediately wraps you into what you're dealing with in this movie. And uh, I can't. I can't say anything against it either because yeah, it's one I mean, of my we, favorites. We know we know he's going to end up being right that they're trying to defect. Yeah. But if you try and picture that as a real world scenario, imagine if he'd been wrong. Yeah. 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 Like I could have gone <laughs> to hell so quick. Yeah. Um, Which is why it's so great that he can't convince everybody right off the right. bat. He gets on the submarine and Scott Glenn's like, you know. You know, who, you know, who the hell are you, man? Yeah. We're going to go with our mission until we are proven otherwise. He gets a lucky break. Yep. And, uh, and it's one of those things that, uh, yeah, I mean, if it, if he doesn't get that lucky break, then yeah, they're going to. Con, so in our crazy Ivan. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Which way is he turning, Jonesy? Yeah. I could, I could quote that movie all day. That's, uh, uh but... Courtney B. Vance, who everybody now knows from the People versus O.J. Simpson, but was, uh, it was great in that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's, uh, go to round two then. Uh, I'm also going to say The Hunt for Red October for my second choice. Um, everything that you just said there. I mean, I've seen this. This is another one of those VHS copies that yeah. I wore out. So. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say Hunt for Red October, my second choice. Yay! As I mentioned, this is my 1A. Uh, my pick is Goodfellas. Yeah. yeah. And the winner is Goodfellas. Because <laughs> ah, that's my 1A Yay, as well. Yay, Goodfellas! And then Ooh. I was going to go Dancing with Wolves, but that's pointless at this point. Yeah. Well, Chris's face is a lot different from when we <laughs> picked When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> Yes, that is correct. It's it's there's a bit of a relief on yeah, it. Yeah, there's, there's a smile there. There's an aura. Your aura is purple. Your aura is purple. Aura is purple. Um, but yeah, um, a little bit better choice this time. Although, I mean, like I said, When Harry Met Sally's not a bad movie. Uh-huh. I just like, oh, it won. It How did it win? It is the outlier on this list, by the way. Yes. But God bless us. That's that's the beauty of democracy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Today we're going to be talking about uh, songs and movies now. In in particular songs that you hear and you can't help but think of the movie and the scene that it's in the only important thing these days is rhythm and melody rhythm and melody and there are a million of those uh we're gonna name a few but uh barrett i'm gonna let you take this one away because you are our music video sins guy and won't you start us off as Chris said, there's a million of these options, and uh, we'll get to some of the obvious ones. I wanted to start off with a less obvious one, and the song is called The Blower's Daughter. It's uh, by a guy named Damien Rice, a singer-songwriter, an Irish guy, and you've heard it. In fact, I'll play it at some point during this uh, podcast, either at the end or even uh, during this, uh, but it's the one that, that kind of goes over the refrain of can't take my eyes off of you, mm-hmm. and it opens and closes appropriately enough a uh, uh, a movie called closer uh that was uh, mm. adapted from a play in uh, 2004 and mike nichols did it and uh, the uh, the play was by uh, patrick marber and i just watched this again last night it's a really good movie uh it falls short of being great but the performances are terrific including probably my favorite uh clive owen performance yeah, absolutely. of all time yeah he's great um, it's clive owen it's jude law and it's julia roberts and natalie portman Natalie Portman to where we had never seen Natalie Portman play this type of role before. And this, this song really just like hammers home, uh, the, 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 the mood, it really sets the mood straight off and then it really ties it together at the end. And Damien Rice went on to do a few other, uh, songs that were featured. One was featured in Lost, 
uh, a song called Delicate and a few other things. But this this Blower's Daughter song is really, really terrific. And uh, once you hear it, you'll know it. It was pretty much everywhere in the mid-2000s, uh, but it's perfect in this movie. Um, I guess I'm just assuming it's my turn. I didn't even go, look at you before I started talking. Uh, that's why are, we, why are we in this I studio if I'm not going to use my eyes? Yeah. Um, I'm going to go straight to the cable guy. With uh, want somebody to love. Oh yes, that's perfect. Um, and it doesn't matter what version of this song I hear, I will <laughs> always go straight to the mental image of Jim Carrey going down by the scaffolding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and, him, him just appearing in the frame when the truth <laughs> is told. <laughs> love that. I, I love. I love that movie. I love that scene because it shows, even though it's just a song, it shows how how many steps beyond the normal person this character really is, right? Yeah. No, He's going to make it the best damn karaoke jam <laughs> oh, <yeah>. ever. Ever. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so anytime I hear that, the original, any kind of cover, I always go right back to that. Um yeah, I, I guess some. I mean, when you first hear these, are gonna a lot of these are gonna just sound obvious. I'm gonna have some. I'm gonna have some that are fairly obscure, but, um, but uh, but Tiny Dancer, almost famous. Oh, uh-huh. Good call. Um, anytime you hear Tiny Dancer, you have to think about them on the bus, basically. M- Kissing and making up, basically, through is what, music. Through music, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and and if you're not, okay, so first off, uh, you all have to watch Almost Famous. That's mm-hmm. required. That's uh, required viewing for everybody. Yeah, it's great. Um, but the uh, the second part of it is is that you know Billy Crudup. Uh, this is in the trailer and everything. Like he's like, uh, you know, I am a golden god. He's totally <laughs> on drugs and all this other type of stuff. Like um, he's left his band and he's nobody knew where he was and he's you know he's saying a lot of stupid things and uh they get him on the bus and somebody just starts singing tiny dancer and then everybody starts <laughs> joining in as it goes along and it's just it goes into full throat by the end of it yeah. it's so great uh-huh. it is great and right before that he's he ditches the band takes a bunch of drugs and ends up at this house party with a bunch of local teens mm-hmm. my favorite line oh, in the whole damn God. movie they're sitting around in a circle talking about life and deep shit and this kid suddenly goes Want to see my snake eat a mouse? <laughs> yeah, goes, yes. Yeah. It's, it's Billy Crudup's performance that it's like he's been he's been waiting for someone to ask him yeah. if someone were like you know like well, would you like to see me feed a mouse to my snake? Yes. <laughs> and Francis McDormand is so good in this movie. Yeah. Uh, God, I, okay, we're going to turn this into a yeah uh, the wrong thing, but that is an excellent call. That yeah. song yeah. always does make me yeah. think of that movie. That's a good one. I've got a lot of. A- obscure ones too myself and i kind of want to sell more movies but i'm going to go with another obvious one uh just to kind of get it out there and that's uh the pixies where's my mind oh god yeah at the end of fight club nice good call and you don't get much more of an associative image than watching those buildings blow up and fall while that guitar riff is it's almost like the song was just biding its time waiting for a visual that matched it that perfectly yeah 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 yeah. and that was off an album called surfer rosa that was a terrific album and i had heard it a million times before but in that context it immediately like adhered itself to that movie and that's where you hear people discovered the pixies through that they discovered you know that whole sound because of that and it, it was just perfect at the end of that movie and it's forever associated with it for sure this is a a perfect uh, thing, that, the perfect song you brought up, because before we even had this podcast and before we even thought of this topic, 
Um, I remember this song coming on like at a bar somewhere, and I turned to my friend and said, I cannot listen to this song without thinking of the end of Fight Club, mm-hmm. ever. And yeah. and this person actually had heard the song before Fight Club, maybe not even seen Fight Club, and was just yeah. like, was like, well, it's a great. I just always I've heard this when it came out, and I don't know anything about Fight Club, but I was like, I just I can't get that out of my head. A postmark about this: if you listen to our podcasts from like episode one until I think somewhere around like fourteen or so, when we got this artist Laurence to do our, our our theme music, who's terrific, by the way. Uh, our music was not the Pixies Where Is My Mind. It was actually me doing a cover of a slowed down version of Miley Cyrus's We Can't Stop. And so that's where that uh, theme music came from for the first few episodes. There were a few people asked about it, so that's, that's, that's the secret. All right. Uh, I have uh, a couple obvious ones. Most of mine are more obscure. Um, the song Hey Ma by Cameron. Uh, we gonna get it on tonight. Hey Ma. You know that song? I smoke. Me too. Do you know that song? Uh, I think so. What is it? What's the movie? Um, it's uh, End of Watch. Oh. Where uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Anna Kendrick have begun dating and they're on a road trip. This is probably why this song oh, is tied. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Because that's right. they sing it to each other. Mm-hmm. And she's so adorable mm-hmm. making these faces, singing this to him. Um, that every time I've heard that song since, which granted is not super frequent, yeah. um, I go right back to that scene nice. and, um, uh, it's just tied to it probably because, you know, she's one of my celebrity crushes. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't she everybody's? I feel so like. She kind of ought to be if she's I not. I feel like, I feel like I'm a part of this huge group and it's like, it's, it. It, I don't know. It feels terrible that you know <laughs> that like everybody knows the magic of Anna Kendrick. It's like in the mid two thousands where everybody had a crush on Jenna Fisher from The Office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just like I, I want to be a part of an exclusive club. I don't want to be part of the you know the one in the millions are part of or whatever. Um, I um, there's another one. Okay, there's actually several from this movie, but. Uh, Living Thing from Electric Light Orchestra on Boogie Nights nice. um, is the is forever tied to Mark Wahlberg showing his rubber penis uh-huh. in front of a mirror before the end of Boogie Nights, especially that little violin that comes in that, <laughs> you know, um, and it's uh, and and then it just, you know, once it, I'm a star, I'm a star, I'm a star <laughs> cuts right to ding, 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 ding. It's so I'm going to cut you off, Barrett, and jump ahead because one of mine is from Boogie Nights mm-hmm. and it's actually uh, God Only Knows. Oh, yeah. Which is, I actually emailed Barrett a few weeks ago and said, yeah. is God Only Knows the greatest song ever written? Um, it could be. I think You made a strong case. It's a fantastic song, uh, but the way it's used in this context with the montage of all the changes going on and all the characters that we've gotten to know, every time I hear it now, I, I see those images from Boogie Nights. Yes. Uh, it's, it's a movie that uses music really oh it's so good i have another one written down and Go for it. and and but but yeah the god only knows thing is the montage and it's oh it's so good it, it, it usually a montage is just like oh we just want to get to the next part without mm. having to show you all the other stuff this really just tells you where everybody is at at this moment and it's and, and they play almost the whole song. They play nearly the whole song, and it's so great. But another one is Sister Christian from Night Ranger. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good. The Alfred Molina scene. <laughs> I can't listen to Sister Christian without hearing. You know, he's like, ah, oh, this is my best part right here. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know. One more Boogie Nights before we leave is I can never hear uh, "Feel My Heat." 
No, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> feel, 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 feel. Well, and let's not forget, you got the touch from Transformers that they that Mark Wahlberg sings in this. You got the touch. <laughs> yeah, that is beautiful. Oh it's such God. a beautiful. You got the power. <laughs> but yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson, much like Tarantino, uh, really knows how to pick a song and make it go with a scene extremely well and boogie nights does this better than any of his movies i think for sure um, although magnolia is pretty good at it too now it's yeah. strictly amy mann music on magnolia um which i, I happen to love her yeah yeah um, yeah but yeah he's got an ear that works i was even watching punch drunk love the other day and it doesn't have a lot of soundtrack music it's score but most of that half that score is noise mm-hmm. it's not music and there are scenes where there's clink 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 and there's dialogue going on but it's almost too quiet to hear because he's trying to he's trying to throw you off. He's trying to put you in this state of mind that Adam Sandler's character. I is remember playing. the trailer for Punch Drunk Love had the uh, Popeye theme in it. I don't remember if Punch Drunk Love the movie actually ended up doing that. The one that um, uh, Shelley, uh, yeah, Shelley Duvall sings in the 1980 Robert Altman Popeye hmm. is in the trailer. He needs me. He needs me. Oh no, that's that's. I think that's in yeah. The movie. Is that in the movie? Because I can't I can't remember. I haven't seen Punch Drunk Love since it came out. I actually really liked it. I just haven't been able to find a copy of it. Anyway. That's interesting. That's John Bryan that did the the music. I figured it was Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead that did his other scores for Paul Thomas Anderson. Hmm. But it's yeah, it's before that. Yeah, interesting. All right. This isn't even on my list, but you mentioned uh, Tarantino uh, having a good ear for for music, and we'll get into a whole other one, but you can't discount how iconic the use of Steeler's Wheels stuck in the middle oh, with you is God. for no Reservoir kidding. Dogs. Yeah. And when Michael Madsen is torturing this cop and he puts on K-Billy's Super Sounds from the 70s. Stephen Wright. Stephen Wright's announcing it and everything. And he's just, he's dancing along. And he's, you know, doing like twirls and everything. And he's like, I don't know why I came here tonight. And he's cutting the guy's ear off to this fucking song. And yet somehow this song still gets played, even though it's so associated with Cop torture, yeah, and uh, that's one that you just that can't, song you can't have is to think about. It. Forever married to Reservoir yeah. Dogs. I mean, anytime you hear it, that's a, you immediately think Michael Madsen dancing in that warehouse. Yeah, and the same is true with the one of the more obvious ones on my list was "Son of a Preacher Man" from mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction, and of course. I am the son of a preacher man, so that yep. may be why it stuck with me. <laughs> yep. um, but yeah, every time I hear that, I see Uma Thurman dancing around the living room. Man, Son of a Preacher Man is such a great song just on its own. It's Dusty Springfield, and Dusty Springfield didn't have a lot of hits. Mm. And this was her, her only big real hit. She was a, a white woman that had the soul, I think she was British, that had the soul of you know an African-American woman. And just if if you listen to the soundtrack as many times as I did, uh, just hearing all the backing band work, the bass, the drums, everything on that track is great. And it sets up what is kind of a rarity in a Tarantino film. It sets up a very sexy, sensual moment in yeah. Pulp Fiction where he's just... I know everybody focuses on the feet, but it's where Uma Thurman is walking across the room and she puts that foot up and it's dirty and everything. Yeah. And, uh, it's so great. Well, and then she later on dances to Urge Overkill's Girl, mm-hmm. You'll Be a Woman Soon. Yep. Another great uh, mm-hmm. use of a song in that movie. Neil Diamond song turned in by Urge Overkill, yes. Chicago's own. That's right. Um, I For Pulp Fiction, I, I, I tried to pare it down a little bit. Uh, so I wrote down Jungle Boogie from Cool and mm-hmm. the Gang. 
that song to me, if I ever hear it come on the radio, I immediately think yellow credits mm-hmm. of Pulp Fiction is what I'm thinking of. Yeah, it's like the the theme song from The Sopranos. Yeah, which, yeah. Which is an actual song uh-huh. that I heard on the radio. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then now all I can think of is Tony Soprano oh, driving. It's so such a good song too. It and is, it, and it puts you in the mood for that. That's you know that series very fits, well fits perfect yeah well i'm gonna go again okay yeah, it's your turn because if we're, we're sticking in the 90s and a lot of my picks are from the 90s there's one uh, in a movie called stealing beauty have you guys ever seen, I have seen stealing this movie. beauty yeah yeah so stealing beauty was a uh, bertolucci movie yeah, yeah. uh with Liv tyler uh, came out in 1996 jeremy irons too right jeremy irons yep. yeah and uh it's it's a really fun movie to watch um it's very atmospheric it's set in the italian countryside and everything in an artist commune and it's an interesting story, but like, there's this scene where Liv Tyler is going to search for this, this. this guy that she thinks she's in love with, and she wants to consummate. She's a virgin in this, and which she is Bert- to- Bertolucci's very obsessed with, yes, by the way, is. in all of his movies. Yeah. Uh, it's so weird. Yeah. Hey, it happens again with the Dreamers, but go ahead. And everybody, everybody else in the movie is obsessed with her about getting this poor yeah. woman laid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she's only nineteen. Yeah. She was only nineteen. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so as she's walking up, it's this beautiful Italian countryside at dusk, and as she's walking up. It's this slow build of a song from a band called Portishead called yes. Glory Box. Yes. And it's kind of uh, what at the time was called trip hop. And Portishead is very sexy music, very uh, electronic atmospheric music uh, where if you and if you come home at the end of the date and you put on Portishead, if you can't seal the deal, that's on you. <laughs> that's, that's your business because everybody else is really pulling their own weight. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it sets it up beautifully, and the, the refrain is like, you know, give me a reason to be a woman, and it really, really is tied to that. Now, I listen to that song a million times, but it makes me think of that scene in that movie every time. There's another scene in that movie that I, and I can't remember the song, or else it would be on this list, but there's another song where she's jumping on the bed and all that. You remember what this one was? Oh, it's a whole song. Yeah, it's a whole song. Yeah, yeah. Make me real. Yeah, there's a- I don't know what there's a that was a pretty good impression of uh, Courtney. Uh, <laughs> there's a there's a point in Stealing Beauty where you could mistake this for a period piece. Like it's it's like I don't I don't know what era this is set in or whatever. And then you see it's almost it's it's almost jarring. She's on the bed jumping up and down to this whole song, and it's like oh we're modern day. I didn't know that you know with a Walkman. Yeah, with a Walkman. <laughs> um. I'm going to go with a a combo here. Uh, Two very, very popular songs that have been taken over by a movie scene and a movie character. Low by Flo Rida or Get Back by Ludacris. Mm-hmm. Tom Cruise <laughs> in Tropic Thunder. Yeah. Dancing. Yes. Either oh of those God. songs. Totally. If I hear apple bottom jeans come out of any radio, <laughs> I'm instantly picturing that character doing his lawnmower dance or what have you. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it always makes me smile because I, he's so funny in that movie. I, I love that whole in credit sequence that they do there because it's... It, Especially, I I imagine the shock on some of the people's faces who watch this when it finally gets to Tom Cruise yeah. as because there were a lot of people who did not know that was Tom Cruise right the whole movie and uh, I just imagine I just get a smile on my face when I think about 
people who were like sitting there through the credits listening to this ludicrous song and everything and they're like oh yeah watching tom cruise dance and then it, tom cruise and they're like they must have just like gotten hit with a thunderbolt when that happened um but uh but yeah that's a great one i love that uh, if we're gonna uh, g5 I, player if, if we're gonna stick with uh rap i'm gonna say still by the ghetto boys mm-hmm. off the space printer smashing scene forever forever married yeah. to that scene yeah um i did not know what still was when it first came out i know it was funny as hell when i first saw it <laughs> but when you later listen to still and you ever hear it now it's like oh yeah they're smashing the printer up that's what they're doing yeah ghetto boys are featured prominently in that movie they yes. also had damn it feels good to be a gangster yes, they do. in there yeah, that one would always make me think of Office Space for sure. It's mm. not on my list, but damn, it feels good to be a gangster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wrote uh, another one that I wrote in this sort of genre, even though it's I guess it's more rock, and it even has rock in the name, Rock Superstar by Cypress Hill. Uh-huh. Training Day. Uh-huh. Not only not only the movie itself, when they're going into the, the Spanish part of town and everything, but the trailer itself was it featured it prominently and just uh it's something that i can't hear without thinking of denzel washington in the car you know mm-hmm. like telling ethan hawk how it is and all that it always associates with that it's got that great opening which i think is the opening to the dan patrick show isn't it, it is they, oh yeah yeah right. they they do use rock superstar as yeah that, that was in the heyday of not necessarily rap rock, but rap rock hybrids. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, P. Diddy did a, a rock remix of uh, All About the Benjamins. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, I got a fun one uh, that is is a little bit obscure too, but everybody that's somewhere around our age has heard it. It's a, it's a song by The Flies uh, called Got You Where I Want You. Oh, yes. And it's closely yeah, associated with uh, this movie Disturbing Behavior. Yes. Uh, yeah. In 1998. Oh, my God. And uh, Joshua Jackson. Yeah. yeah. And Katie Holmes. Katie Holmes looking really hot in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's... it's, it's Katie it's Holmes, a, am I right? Katie Holmes, am I right? <laughs> Katie Holmes. Kay Holmes. <laughs> oh my God. It's a fun song and it's a good song. And like, I'd never heard from these guys again. So like, this is their, this is their one shot. And even the music video had like the lemmings type behavior where everybody's, all the classmates are jumping off the cliff together and everything. And it's, it's a great song except for like the pseudo reggae breakdown in, in the middle of it. But other than that, it's an awesome song. It's a fun 90s song. I'm glad you brought up disturbing behavior mm-hmm. because I wrote one down for this as well, but it was the, not that for the trailer oh. of disturbing behavior. Uh, Harvey Danger's flagpole center <laughs> <Yeah>. is always <laughs> associated with the trailer for disturbing behavior. Uh-huh. Um, I was actually, it was funny. I watched that trailer last night and I noticed that the director of the movie is David Nutter, who is a best known as a game of Thrones guy. He's, he directed one of the, uh, all time, you know, most well-known episodes, the reigns of Castamere. Oh, wow. Hmm. Um, and, uh, but he, this is, I, I don't know if he's directed very many other movies other than disturbing behavior, but, um, but yeah, that was an interesting thing. But yeah, the trailer, the trailer is like every time I hear Flagpole Center, I'm like, uh, the disturbing behavior trailer pops in my mind. Yeah. I was back after Scream hit and anything Kevin Williamson 
touched or thought of or threw in the trash can got greenlit. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> they had the one, I remember also like towards the tail end there, they had killing Mrs. Tingle yep. and then they changed it to teaching, teaching Mrs. Mrs. Tingle, Tingle. Yeah. or whatever. But yeah, like, yeah, everything he did was just like, I don't remember if he was, was he a part of this movie? But I don't, I don't know. I'm I don't just, remember. It feels but, so much but like But it that. is a very Kevin williams thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to go from Tropic Thunder to another Ben Stiller directed movie, mm-hmm. Zoolander. Yeah. Uh-huh. With Wake Me Up Before You Go. That's number, <laughs> that's number three, Jeremy. Wow. By the way, Ben Stiller directed movies. Um, oh, because I did Cable Guy. <laughs> you too. did Cable Guy. I guess I'm stuck in Ben Stiller right now. Um, but the freak gasoline fight. Uh, yes. Oh, oh my god. Um, oh my god. This is so great. I can't not see the silly, over the top visuals. Of course, all of them except Stiller die yes. in this incident. Wake me up. The next scene is a go. funeral. But um, they die sexily, though. Yes, yeah, they, they do. They are definitely hot when they die. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, every time I, I don't hear that song a lot, it's kind of a, I guess, an Oli at this point. But when I do hear it, um, well, I go right back to that place and I'm, I'm watching them die, burn in a fire. <laughs> Gasoline fight. Oh, my God. Um, hey, before you get in, I want to do a, a couple of trailer songs. Okay, go for it. There's two that are most associated with trailers to me. And one is Kanye West doing Jesus Walks yes, for Jar. Which I wrote down. And I don't think it's even featured barely in the in the movie, if at all. Yeah. But it is such a part of the trailer. It yeah. is the entire is the trailer, trailer. Uh, of this. And, and boom, oh, boom, my boom, God. Boom, 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 You get the stomps boom. and everything. Yeah. And everything. <laughs> oh, my God. It matches the tone perfectly and everything. It made me want to see that movie just based off of that. I think I've actually talked about this on a podcast before. But literally just watching and hearing that song together just made it for me same here i uh, saw the trailer and i was instantly like i gotta see that and then you had sam mendes directing jake yep. gyllenhaal and yep. it was like all right i'm gonna watch this movie was okay it wasn't great yeah, but it, was it, okay. it wasn't bad uh i actually wrote down jarhead for that and for the movie itself something in the way by great. nirvana yes i was perfect going the same yeah way. perfect uh like um you know, use of that, and it's such a dreamlike sequence and everything. It's perfect, yeah. Him throwing up sand in the mm-hmm. sink and all that other mm-hmm. stuff, but yeah, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, another one, Barrett, you're going to have to help me and bail me out here because I don't know the name of the song or the artist, but that hip hop rap song from the Deadpool trailer earlier this year. Where oh, DMX. Oh, that's DMX. Yeah. It's going to give, give it to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will never hear that song without seeing Deadpool oh, from I this know. point forward. And that's not a new song. That's no, like, no, it no, actually, no. Uh, I believe uh, on the, uh, it was either Cradle to the Grave or Exit Wounds. One of those movies mm-hmm. that he was in was the first time I, I think I heard that. At least it was on the trailer for one of the, I think it was Cradle to the Grave hmm. uh, that had that that song. And it was associated with that until Deadpool made it like so prominent in everything. It's another one of those that you just feel like the song was waiting for the movie to come along yeah. and be the perfect match of visuals. <laughs> it's uh, so great. Um, I wrote down also for The Naked Gun, um, what is it called? Uh, I have it on the list somewhere. Oh, I'm into something good by Herman's Hermits. Oh, nice. Uh, it's so funny to me that song because this is the romantic montage scene in the Naked Gun where Leslie Nielsen and Priscilla Presley are going around, and uh, and during this song, there's a point where you see them coming out of a movie theater laughing their ass off, and like as the camera moves out, <laughs> it, you see that they've been watching Platoon. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's one of the funniest jokes I've ever seen. But it actually, at the very end, like when they're like, you know, they're saying their goodbyes and everything, and Leslie Nielsen walks down the street and he kicks his heels and all that. <laughs> they have like the old MTV, like, uh, you know, credits and everything. <laughs> Herman's Herberts, I'm into something good, directed by David Zucker. You know? Oh my God. <laughs> hey, speaking of MTV, there was a, a song and video movie tie-in that would never stop playing on MTV, and that was Brian Adams' Everything I Do, I oh, Do For Jesus. You from yeah, the Robin no Hood kidding. soundtrack in 91? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that was that was everywhere. That mm-hmm. was everywhere. It was featured in the theme of the movie. It was in the end credits. It was every tie-in that you would ever hear uh, was, was that song tying in with that movie. So anytime I hear it, of course you think about Robin Hood and Kevin Costner's failed British accent. Well, let yeah. me tell you, that song also, as somebody who grew up like I, I played the piano when I was a teenager, and I also went to a lot of church camps and stuff. And man, if I sat down at the piano and started playing that song, by the time I was done, like twelve girls would like appear out of nowhere. <laughs> it was like the best song to Do like I hear the siren song with women. I can't even kid you. <laughs> I think it's me, yeah. but I'm almost out. You guys have longer lists than me. One I wanted to talk about doesn't really count, but it's a funny story, so I'm going to pretend like it does. That song that Farmer Hoggett sings in Babe, mm. the pig movie. You remember the song? He sings it like three times. It's got words. If I had words. So I've never heard that song outside of that movie except one time. My wife and I went on vacation. This is about eight years ago. And we went to Florida to visit my parents. And one day we went to Epcot. Mm. And we were at Epcot. And we went into this theater to cool down. And it was uh, the France section in Epcot. And the movie was sort of like a POV of taking a flight and a boat and whatever through the countryside of France. But what's playing behind all the images is a pipe organ version of this goddamn song. <laughs> really? And I, I did a research and it's it's an originally like some kind of French anthem that has be, had words put to it several times over the years, but it's this like super regal, like, the, like, like there's a king in the room. <laughs> and I turned to my wife and I said, it's Babe the Pig. <laughs> yeah, like instantly. Yeah. I mean, and so even though I'm never going to hear this song like in everyday life flipping the radio station, that song is still indelibly tied to that movie forever. The yeah. song's called If I Had Words. Yeah, and the French version, the French version is on my notes. It's called Non Je Ne Regrette Rien. Nice. Hmm. Hmm. So there you go. Um. Do you have you have some more, Barrett? I got one more. Okay. And it's it's a bit of a cheat because I want people to go watch this movie. If you've ever seen a movie called- That's all you've been doing all day. I know. <laughs> all right. I know. It's a movie called Immortal Beloved. Yeah. And uh, yeah. it's about- You're going to send people to watch this? Yes. Okay. Oh, absolutely. All right. Uh, it was Gary Oldman playing Beethoven. Yes. Uh, back in 1994. And it's, it's, a, it's a good movie. It, it's like watching Purple Rain. You don't watch Purple Rain for the entirety of the movie. You watch it for the performances. Okay. And you watch Immortal Beloved because of the music. And one of the things they used the London Symphony Orchestra for this and Schulte, George Schulte was the, the conductor. And they nailed Beethoven's Ninth. And the way that they visualize Beethoven's Ninth is they show kind of the childhood of Ludwig von Beethoven. And as the strings are going in this big fugue uh, in the, the fourth movement, he's running across a field and it keeps going more and more and more. And then it finally slows down before you get to the Ode to Joy. And he lays down in this pond and the camera 
keeps like panning out to where he kind of is one with all the spots in the the pond and everything. And it pans out to where so much that it looks like the stars in the sky. And eventually he morphs into the stars in the sky. And this is while all the, it's all this wonderful ode to joy stuff. And it's, it's the movie is worth seeing just for that, uh, that moment. And even if you've heard Beethoven's ninth a million times, like I have, you would probably, if you close your eyes, you may visualize that scene. There. Yeah. Um, well, okay. This is our last one. I don't really want to end on this, but I think I'm going to. Um, because this song, when I heard it the other day, I was actually out with you at a at a bar somewhere, and like uh, we we heard that "A Thousand Years" by Chris, Christina Perry uh-huh. uh, came on, and that song is. Uh, always going to be tied to twilight breaking dawn part two (laughs) and the reason why i know this song so well and i know the credits so well is that is that you know i was still working in a movie theater at the time and i think i was i was sort of helping out ushers and stuff like that like doing projection but then coming down and helping out because we had like you know when that movie came out like 10 uh twilight breaking dawns or whatever were out and and so if you're ever you know if you're ever like if you were ever like an usher or whatever and you go into a movie while the credits are rolling every credits song that you you go into a movie a lot is going to stay with you forever like can you feel the love tonight by in <laughs> in lion king is always going to be with me as lion king and whatever or that rage song at the end of the matrix yeah the rage song at the end mm-hmm. of the matrix um just uh, there's so many songs that are just like american woman by lenny kravitz and uh, mm-hmm. austin powers the spice shag me um but uh but yeah a thousand years um i think what really sticks with me on this the song is good i like the song um but I think what bothered me the most about it is like, I guess if I were into Twilight, I would find this really awesome and dramatic. They're showing every character <laughs> and every actor who's ever been in the Twilight series at the end of those credits. But then they show Wendell Pierce, who was shows up for like five minutes. And I'm just like, oh, my God, <laughs> Wendell Pierce, man, you were in the wire, man. And now you're in this like montage where you're like one of the three black people that were in this entire series. <laughs> Oh my God, it's so Jesus sad. Christ. But like, in a thousand years, and Wendell Pierce smiling. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, that's that's. Uh, I, I think we could probably do this again at some point. It's, I think uh, so. Yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of these, and we missed. We skipped over a lot of the real obvious ones. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, um, let's go on to our Q and A. Question. Question. I got something to say. I am listening. Okay, so a few questions from Twitter that came in. The first one is, what are some of the best director-actor pairs in Hollywood? Mm. Um, and I'll, I'll throw mine out because you guys have a deeper knowledge of it. My favorite is Soderbergh and Clooney. Now, I know mm, Soderbergh yeah. has kind of uh, hung it up uh, conceptually here, but I mean, they were just, they were gold. I mean, yeah. every, every everything that they did was was terrific from out of sight. How many to the films Oceans have they made together? Five? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. You know, the obvious one is DiCaprio and Scorsese, and they're great, and I love when they work together. Um, you know, uh, off the top of my head, the first thing that came to my mind was Michael Caine and Christopher Nolan. Oh, yeah. Because um, <laughs> he never doesn't use Michael Caine. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't probably fit what you're talking about here. But I'll let Chris talk while I try and think of another well, one. Well, I mean, you say Scorsese, DiCaprio, and I was thinking Scorsese, De Niro, which yeah. is not a current 
uh, thing going on. I mean, they did it, you know, in the seventies, eighties, and then nineties. But I think that produced their best work. Obviously, I mean, Wolf of Wall Street is probably the best Scorsese mm-hmm. DiCaprio mm-hmm. pairing, but. Um, but, uh, I think all, if you, if you think about what's the best Scorsese movie and what's the best De Niro movie, it's usually the same thing. Mm, good so point. That's, uh, that's where, where, where I would go with that. Another one that just came to mind is Tarantino and Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I almost went Tarantino and Michael Madsen. I just don't actually really like Michael Madsen all that much. <laughs> um, but I like Sam Jackson and he's in a ton of Tarantino movies. It's yeah. almost getting with hateful eight. Like it's almost like it, he's getting better. Like, oh man, that he, pair is getting he's better. He's the best thing about Django, in my opinion. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. love Christoph Waltz in that movie, but Samuel Jackson steals. That's it for a me. that's a great performance. Like it, I don't think a lot of people give it the credit it really deserves. Either, oh, yeah. Even though I, uh, but uh, but yeah, that's a terrific performance. Mm-hmm. Next one. What is the biggest movie trailer sin? I'm gonna go first. Go. This is a cheat. Mm-hmm. Showing me something that you later cut out of the movie. Yeah. Mm, yep. I know it's not your fault, trailer guy. I know that they give you a bunch of footage and you make the trailer and then they're still editing, making decisions and you get fucked over. But the person who really gets fucked over is me. And if mm-hmm. I had a nickel for every time my wife whined to me about where's the scene from the such and such, it started with Ratatouille. Because in the trailer for Ratatouille, uh, he asks his brother, what are you eating? And his brother says, I don't know. He's like, you don't know what it is and you're eating it. And yeah. that line <laughs> is not in the movie anywhere. And it pissed my wife off hardcore. <laughs> uh, so that's not really a trailer sin, but it is. And so I'm going with that for my first answer. I don't know. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's a good one. Mine is uh, the cutaway. The cutaway one-liner. It always builds, it builds, it builds, it builds, and then it cuts. And the biggest example of this is the fucking Leslie Jones in Ghostbusters trailer of everything is going, go, 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 cut. I don't know if it's a race thing or a litty thing, but I'm mad as hell. Yeah. And it's like, all right, we get it, we get it, we get it. It happens every trailer, and it's just like, all right, we've we've seen it. They they either do the doom sound, (laughs) and it goes to the cut. Or or they do the record scratch, which yeah. I think is so overused now that I'm just like, no, that's not funny anymore. You know, record scratch. They do that shit. Um, I, I I don't I don't know. I, I imagine if I thought about this a little bit longer, I could come up with something better. But I hate it when they have a guy at the end of a trailer or a, or a woman say, "I'm going to kick your." And they cut away to the title of the movie or whatever. And it's like, why even bother showing us that? If you're not going to give us the full thing, don't even bother. Just, okay, we, we get it. It's not funny when you're, you just cut it away like that. Well, that, that happened with the Mike and Dave need uh, wedding dates. Yeah. yeah. It happens in about 50% of all. We're going to be classy as. Yeah. 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 Well, a legit one that I just thought of that I'll throw out there is the, uh, if it's a thriller or a horror movie. I know there's some kind of jump scare coming after the credits from the trailer. Like yeah. you showed me the title, you showed me the date, and then I know I'm going to get like a monster sitting up or like a bat <laughs> screaming at the screen. Or There's always something like that, and it drives me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> we've also, I think we've lost a little, we've lost a lot in trailers because Don LaFontaine is no longer with us. Uh, we don't get that, you know, that movie trailer voice that's yeah. really good anymore, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, if you go back and listen to those like '90s trailers and everything, I'm like, I want to watch every single one of those movies. <laughs> that's the reason why I got paid so much was yeah. because his voice was so, you know, instrumental in in movie trailers. But that's a little off of the whether it's a sin or not on the trailers. But I, I imagine, if, yeah, imagine if we really, really, really thought about this more, we could probably come up with a whole bunch. But 
right just off the top of my head, I can't think of because I know there's other things mm-hmm. about trailers that we still hit me. on accurate stuff. I think mm-hmm. we're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, well, uh, if you want to comment, uh, go to SoundCloud and we're reading those comments and everything. Tell us if we're good or bad or whatever. Um, but uh, that's going to be the Syncast this week. Signing off, this is Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. When the truth is found It fucked you because just so happened that all the receivers that Jeremy had had their best days. Fuck your receivers. Fuck them. Because I'll tell you what, you fucked me. You fucked me with the whole, um, the playoff start like at way earlier than, oh, yeah. like one week we earlier. Yeah. So, Fucker. so everybody's I, fucking everybody. So <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm going to give Jeremy, uh, uh, AJ Green and it's going to fuck Barrett in the playoffs. <laughs> well, I got good and fucked. I can't wait. And I will live in Montana. And I will marry a round American woman and raise rabbits. What's the matter? You bums forgot how to kill people? Doesn't your work mean anything to you anymore? Have you no sense of pride in what you do? No sense of duty? No sense of destiny?